It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get right through now, it. the COVID-19 vaccine are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. We got a really good one in store today for people that are just uh, getting out of um, our quarantine or or coming out of our bunkers uh, as uh, more and more people get vaccinated from COVID-19. Uh, we're going to be joined by, um, in the third half of our three-hour tour, the um, a uh, senior editor from National Geographic, and uh, Nat Geo is launching a Get Outside campaign, and they have uh, new editions of Secrets of the National Parks and Guide to the National Parks, and uh, um, Allison Johnson will be with us to uh, share some ideas on places well, she's going to tell us where to go. We'll, we'll leave it at that. And uh, in the second hour of our three-hour tour, we're going to talk with the author of a very compelling uh, memoir called On the Road Less Traveled, An Unlikely Journey from the Orphanage to the Boardroom. Author Ed Hadjam will be uh, joining us. But uh, my first guest uh, for this first hour of the show is an investigative uh, journalist from, uh, well, Boston-based, who has written a book. It's uh, It tells the true story of a self-taught Shakespeare scholar who has a controversial 
theory that says when we're quoting Shakespeare, we might actually be quoting Sir Thomas North. And here to talk about that and, and more is uh, my guest, Michael Blanding. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Tom. It's great to be here. Um, how did you get onto this? First of all, who is Thomas North? And uh, <laughs> how did you get onto this this story of uh, Dennis McCarthy, the self-taught Shakespeare scholar that has other Shakespeare scholars up in arms? <laughs> yeah, no, it's a great question. So Thomas North is a really fascinating figure. He is a 16th century courtier and translator, and he is best known as the translator of, of a book called Plutarch's Lives, which is the uh, recognized source for all of Shakespeare's Roman plays. It's this kind of uh, compendium of these biographies of these Greek and Roman figures. And uh, Dennis McCarthy, this uh, scholar that I profile in the book, uh, approached me uh, five or six years ago and uh, told me about this uh, sort of crazy new theory that he had that uh, Thomas North had actually written uh, early versions of many of Shakespeare's plays, not just the Roman plays, but uh, early versions of Macbeth and Hamlet and uh, King Lear and, and other plays, and uh, that Shakespeare had actually taken these plays and adapted them into the masterpieces that, that we know today. And, uh, you know, in the beginning, when he first told me about this, I was very skeptical. I, I uh, you know, didn't know a whole lot about the Shakespeare authorship question, but I didn't really... Uh, wasn't inclined to believe uh, that uh, someone else had written the plays, but uh, the more he showed me and the more I looked into it myself, the more compelling I found it, and, and I ended up writing this book about this really amazing new new theory. And and the book is called, and I meant to, to mention that in the introduction, is North by Shakespeare, A Rogue Scholar's Quest for the Truth Behind the Bard's Work. Where does Francis, ba where does Francis Bacon fit into all this? <laughs> well, you know, there, there's been all, all kinds of theories over the years. I mean, that's what's really fascinating about Shakespeare. He's the, the greatest writer in the English language. I mean, you know, so much of our literature today comes well, from, from Shakespeare. And that's his legacy. Yet, it, it, right, and, and yet we have, um, you know, we know very little about Shakespeare's life, and what we do know about his life doesn't really match up with the plays and the knowledge that would be required to write the plays. And so there have been all these theories over the years, as I'm sure, you know, you've heard many of them, that Francis Bacon or the Earl of Oxford or someone else wrote the plays and Shakespeare just put, put his name on it. And so, you know, what's, what's really interesting about uh, Dennis's theory is that he believes that Shakespeare actually wrote the plays, but he also believes he had this earlier source material by this other writer, Thomas Norris, so he kind of has his cake and, and eats it too. But it, it um, makes it sound at first glance, um, Michael, that in some ways Shakespeare was little more than, than really a producer. Yeah, something like that. I mean, um, it, it could still, you know, it's, it's unclear, according to his point of view, how much Shakespeare actually had a hand in the plays, whether he was more of a theater producer, you know, kind of a director who was, you know, adapting the plays for the stage, or whether he might have actually had a hand in, in writing them and really taking these earlier plays that were written for the court and may have been really stodgy and, and uh, kind of converting them into plays that would, would work on the public stage and, and, you know, be these crowd-pleasing masterpieces that we know today. So it could still 
could still have room for Shakespeare being this genius. Uh, it's just a genius as an adapter and not as, not as an original writer himself. And this is an interesting turn of phrase uh, in talking about Dennis McCarthy as a self-taught Shakespeare scholar. Um, <laughs> what did you find out about his motivation and, and why he, first of all, would self-teach himself to become a Shakespeare <laughs> scholar and why he went after this uh, particular theory? Yeah, he is a fascinating character in and of itself. You know, in the book, I really tell two stories. I tell the story of Thomas North and look at how you know he may have been motivated to write these early plays. But then I also tell the story of Dennis McCarthy, which is sort of just as fascinating. And he is a um, uh, someone who was actually a college dropout. He never really, uh, you know, was able to to make it in in kind of traditional schooling, but he was at the same time just um, incredibly smart, and you know one of these kind of polymaths that just can can look into a subject and kind of teach himself anything that that interests them. And he had a career before looking into Shakespeare. He had a, a career actually doing science writing and actually published his work in scientific journals and, and wrote a book for Oxford University Press about uh, this field of biogeography, looking at how plant and animal species move around the world and how they evolve and, and you know, wrote this, this book that was really widely acclaimed. And it was that that actually caused him to start looking into Shakespeare about 15 years ago. He uh, wrote a last chapter to that book looking to see kind of how ideas move around the world and how they evolve. And he took the story of Hamlet and traced it from being this 11th century Norse legend to see kind of how it became Shakespeare's play and it went through a French version and it went through a um, early English version that uh, scholars know about which they refer to as the Ur Hamlet this sort of earlier Hamlet play and that's that's kind of what got him started on this is that he identified that early play as being written by Thomas North and and then you know came up with this theory that was actually just one of many and McCarthy had a lot of evidence that he brought into this uh, theory, um, and and some of it was using something I hadn't heard of, and I'm fascinated by plagiarism <laughs> software. You knew where I was going with that, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, this is this is a really fascinating part of his research technique is that um, he has um, really used computers to look at uh, Shakespeare's plays in a new way. And, and he's not the first person to do this. There have been other people who have also tried to use this computer software to, to analyze the plays and, and you know, have, have come up with conclusions about Shakespeare, you know, co-writing them with other authors, for example. But he really, taking the software that's basically the same software like a, a college professor would use to see if a student was plagiarizing uh, something, something for their term paper, but he took it and compared the text of all of Shakespeare's plays to all of Thomas North's published writings and some of his unpublished writings as well, and just found, you know, literally thousands of, of hits of, of phrases in common, and um, more than that, that they were, um, these phrases were sort of within these passages that were actually expressing similar ideas and, and even, in some cases, had similar characters and so that's what really kind of got him onto this and, and made him feel like there was something there, was once he started finding, you know, just case after case in which Shakespeare's plays were drawing upon the work of Thomas North, he, he really uh, 
uh, started feeling like there was this connection that, that scholars had never explored before. But he was already uh, on to Thomas North when he applied this, this plagiarism software, so he was comparing A to B. Um, because I, when I first read the phrase plagiarism software, I thought mm-hmm. you just type in a phrase and it goes out and searches all of literature to, mm. to, to <laughs> you know, to, to tell you where that phrase came from. Well, well, what he did was, he, you know, he took all of Shakespeare's plays, it's about a million words, and then he took uh, Thomas North's translation, and it was Plutarch's Lies, but he also has a couple of other books that he translated as well. And he basically took, you know, that was about 900,000 words. So he had, you know, basically 2 million words that he was looking at here and and compared them to each other. And, um, you know, you can see it on the screen. He showed me how he does this on the screen and and all the words that are in common between these two sources just light up in in red text. And, you know, when he did that, it, it it was like, you know, lighting up like a Christmas tree. It was just phrase after phrase after phrase that, that Shakespeare had borrowed. And then he was able to take those phrases and he was actually able to plug them into Google Books or, or this uh, database called Early English Books Online to see if anybody else had ever used those phrases. And, and many of them were actually unique to just Shakespeare and Thomas North. And again and again, he found these rare phrases that Shakespeare was seen to be taking from the works of Thomas North and, and incorporating into the plays. Uh, but you suggest that that Thomas North and Shakespeare were contemporaries, that they lived at around the same time. Thomas North lived uh, earlier than Shakespeare. He was um, about 30 years older than Shakespeare. And so they did overlap towards the end of, of Thomas North's life. They overlapped quite a bit. But, um, you know, what what Dennis believes is that Thomas North wrote these source plays in, you know, the 1560s, 1570s, 1580s, and then Shakespeare was writing 1580s, 1590s, and, and 1600s. So he was kind of taking these plays that Thomas North had written in an earlier period of his life. And it's, it's, not, um, it's not completely unheard of. Uh, scholars, in fact, uh, know that Shakespeare often took old plays and reworked them. And in some cases, we even have their titles and, and know a little bit about the, the plays and their plots and, and you know, know that Shakespeare had taken these and adapted them. Where he's really controversial, though, is saying that all of these plays were written by the same person, and, and that's Thomas Norris. This is a, a fascinating, if not disconcerting, a little bit story <laughs> um, called right. "The Book Is North by Shakespeare: A Rogue Scholar's Quest for the Truth Behind the Bard's Work," and uh, it's written by my guest Michael Blanding. Michael, I'm fascinated by this, and I want to talk some more, but I have to take a short break here. Can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more? Of course, of Excellent. course, I'd love to. Excellent. Um, Anyway, if you're listening to us on uh, WFOV 92.1 LPFM in Flint, they are a broadcast service of the uh, Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze in a few words uh, of their own or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. And then we'll return to talk uh, some more about um, who you're really quoting when you quote William Shakespeare. Don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be right back. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. Hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org.
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation with the author of a new book uh, called North by Shakespeare, A uh, Rogue Scholar's Quest for the Truth Behind the Bard's Work. He is a Boston-based investigative journalist whose work has appeared in the New York Times, the Boston Globe Magazine, and many other places, Michael Blanding, and he joins me by phone. Michael, welcome back, and thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. (laughs) No, no worries. It's great to talk to you. Um, Just before the the break, we were talking uh, a little bit about... uh, the work of the uh, rogue scholar <laughs> Dennis McCarthy, <laughs> and and how he got onto the idea that um, Shakespeare's many many well known plays, most often quoted plays, Hamlet, Macbeth, Romeo and Juliet, and others, um, that Shakespeare's work was actually based on the writings of uh, Sir Thomas North. And uh, that um, Shakespeare, I, I described him maybe as uh, kind of a producer, but the fact that Shakespeare put on these plays, does that, does that change anything in the telling of this story or in the big picture of this story, the idea that he had a, a theater troupe and they put on plays and he was always looking for stories to adapt for the stage? Yeah, well, what's interesting is is I didn't really know a whole lot about uh, playwriting in, in the Elizabethan time before I started working on this this book. I'm an investigative reporter, so whatever topic I take on, you know, I, I really research thoroughly and really look into. And, you know, one thing that I found out is that the way plays were written at the time was it's not our conception of, you know, somebody sits down, this genius sits down at a table and writes a play and, you know, it's published and, and you know, put on and, and, you know, it doesn't change for 400 years all these plays were, were in a real condition of flux where one writer would take it and, and maybe write it uh, along with another writer and then it would go on the stage and, and the company would go on tour and they would be cutting characters or adding characters. And so it was a much more kind of fluid process than the way we might think about it. And um, in this process, people were always kind of... Um, Many plays were published anonymously, and then when they were published at all, they would often have the name of the company or, or, the, or the producer that would, would be put on it. So, you know, William Shakespeare could have taken this play that started out as a play by Thomas North and then was adapted and maybe changed over the years, and then, you know, when it's finally published, put, you know, by William Shakespeare on it, and, and it was totally legitimate, it wasn't a conspiracy, you know, there was no kind of uh, uh, subterfuge involved in, in this, but... Um, you know, that play didn't necessarily start as Shakespeare's play. It may have started as these earlier plays by, by Thomas North, and that's, in fact, what, what Dennis McCarthy believes. And it's entirely possible, um, according to uh, Dennis McCarthy's research, that um, that North may have actually sold some plays. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, Thomas North was this fascinating figure who um, he came from this rich family and he spent uh, life as a, as a diplomat and traveled in France and Italy and fought in wars in Ireland and the Netherlands but at the end of his life he was actually sort of disinherited by his family and, and he had this brother who um, 
sort of uh, kicked him out of the family, and uh, he was really impoverished towards towards the end of his life. You know, even though he was a knight and it had this, you know, really uh, rich rich life, he was actually quite poor. And so, for that reason, he, you know, if had he written these plays, he still would have owned them and and been able to to sell them and uh, you know to Shakespeare's company and and uh, and he could have adapted them. So it would sort of provide a motive for why he might have sold these plays at the end of his life. And there was no um, sense of copyright or ownership. This was not very long after um, the practice of uh, folk tales and and folk songs being performed by uh, all public speaking and and performance of of songs sweeping all over Europe and and that was really how a lot of people in fact got their news yeah yeah that's that's exactly right i mean the whole concept of plagiarism didn't really exist at the time in fact the word plagiarism doesn't even enter the english language until 1598 you know which was well into shakespeare's career and um you know there were some contemporaries of shakespeare who if you read between the lines they they were uh, sort of grousing about the fact that he may not have uh, been completely original in his plays, that there's this one that calls him this upstart crow that beautifies himself with the feathers of, of others. And so there there are, you know, these various references which scholars have identified, which somehow seem to imply that Shakespeare was either a plagiarist or was, you know, not completely original. But, um, but we didn't have the same kind of, nobody was saying that he was a plagiarist or that he was, you know, putting his name on other writers' works or anything like that, because that whole concept really didn't exist at the time. Well, it's easy to imagine, uh, you know, when when these uh, when these ideas pop up, whether it's, it's this one from Dennis McCarthy um, crediting Sir Thomas North with really the bulk of, <laughs> the bulk of Shakespeare's uh, writing, um, or or Francis Bacon or or others, it it makes it seem as though Shakespeare was just ripping off these other writers and taking <laughs> credit for these these great stories. But is it is it also possible that the real polish and and the language and and the rhythms that we've come to think of as Shakespeare were truly his own? That he that he somehow polished these works in the process of putting these plays on? Yes, absolutely. And and may even have taken some polish off the works and then sort of made them <laughs> you know, a lot more fun. And, and, you know, these rowdy kind of theaters at the time made them more crowd-pleasing. And, you know, Dennis uses the example of um, The Lord of the Rings and and comparing J.R.R. Tolkien to Peter Jackson. And, and it's, it's maybe not a perfect analogy, but it's sort of that kind of sense that doesn't take away anything from the masterpiece of Lord of the Rings, you know, Dare Tolkien's work to also say that Peter Jackson created these incredible movies and adapted them for the screen in a way that, you know, was Oscar winning and, and, you know, took out a lot of the, you know, maybe boring history of the elves or something that was in the original text and, and you know, added some fight scenes and, and some, uh, you know, backstory for the characters. And, and uh, um, so it's, it's that kind of thing that, that, that it may have been uh, Shakespeare may have been this real genius in, in creating these works that we still watch today. I mean, 400 years later, they're still being adapted. They're still being, you know, put on Shakespeare in the park every summer, you know, all across the country. 
because they are such compelling uh, plays to watch, and, and they may not have been. Thomas North's plays may have been more stuffy kind of drawing room comedies and, and uh, you know, not quite as crowd-pleasing. So, um, but, but that is definitely what makes Dennis and his theories so controversial, is, is that, you know, exactly what you're implying, that it sort of takes away from Shakespeare's genius, and, and a lot of scholars and, and lay people alike are, are you know, very, very uh, upset and, frankly, threatened by, by that idea. Is it is it true that there are no um, manuscripts by Thomas North uh, in existence, and and even Shakespeare for that matter? Yeah, so that you know that's one of the things that um, makes Dennis's theories hard to swallow for a lot of people is that you know we don't have any evidence that uh, Thomas North wrote these plays. They they don't exist today. And uh, obviously, if they did exist, we'd know that, that Shakespeare did adapt them. So it's not that surprising if they don't exist. But um, what, what's interesting is that um, most plays from that period are actually uh, actually don't exist now. There were some 3,000 plays, and I think we have like 10% of them today. And in fact, all of Shakespeare's manuscripts uh, are lost. We don't have a single Shakespeare manuscript and, and, uh, or manuscript of, of these other writers like Christopher Marlowe or, or you know, Ben Johnson, these other writers of the time. So unless something was actually published, um, for the most part, they, they disappeared. So it wouldn't be that surprising that Thomas North's plays didn't survive because, you know, if they were adapted, then they would have been published with, with Shakespeare's name on it. <laughs> but it is definitely, you know, a sticking point for a lot of people. They're like, okay, you're saying these plays exist. Well, where are they? And, and you know, obviously Dennis can't point to them. We're we're not going to read in the paper sometime in the next uh, few years that that a box full of uh, original <laughs> Shakespeare manuscripts was bought for fourteen dollars at a yard sale in Japan. <laughs> wouldn't that be wonderful? Would, wouldn't it? <laughs> There's I, always the chance, I guess. I, I keep wondering um, it, because sometimes these things do turn up. But what? Um, McCarthy is credited with mountains of evidence that Shakespeare's work was based on Thomas North's work. Where, what is that evidence if the actual manuscripts don't exist from either? Yeah, so so he's done some really clever things to uh, to try and prove his theory, and and it starts with that plagiarism software that I mentioned, where he's he'll take a play and he'll compare it to to Thomas North's writings, and he'll find all of these common phrases and all these passages that that seem to connect, that, that you know seem like textually the play borrowed from from this other work. And but then he'll also find uh, references to these earlier source plays I mentioned that were written, you know, at a certain time, and um, and relied oftentimes on on other sources. Uh, usually foreign sources like Italian or French sources that, that Shakespeare couldn't read, but Thomas North could have read. And then he'll find all of these references in the play that seem to re- relate to Thomas North's life at the time. And it's really uncanny how he's able to do this with play after play after play and show that he has these uh, these textual references, these exterior kind of references to the source play, and then these uh, really compelling connections to things that Thomas North experienced that uh, relate to him and his life and, and also to his patron, this, this uh, man called the Earl of Leicester, who is uh, sort of the great, the great uh, 
lover of Queen Elizabeth, who um, was was Thomas North's patron, and and he finds all these connections to to the Earl of Leicester in the plays as well, and and uh, so it's kind of triangulating in, in those you know using all these different methods to say okay you know the Merchant of Venice was written in, you know the earlier source play of Merchant of Venice was written in 1578 because there's all these references to what was going on at the time and there's these external references to this earlier play called the Jew of Venice that you know it was, was in uh, 1579 and and then there's all these connections between Plutarch's lives and, and the play, which is the, the work that Thomas North was writing at the time, and, and he's able to do that with, with play after play. And so it's all circumstantial, but, it's, but it comes at it from a number of different directions at once. But if we don't have actual manuscripts from William Shakespeare or Thomas North, mm-hmm. how have the stories even survived? How, how are they even credited with these writings? Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, so so about half the plays were published during Shakespeare's lifetime, and um, some of them were anonymous, but some of them had his name on it. And and sometimes they would even say, you know, newly newly uh, augmented and corrected by William Shakespeare. It doesn't even say by William Shakespeare, but but eventually they started saying by William Shakespeare. Um, and then the other half of the plays appeared seven years after Shakespeare's death in the first folio, and that's really why we have Shakespeare, you know today is this first folio which had uh you know all the plays collected in it, or most of the plays collected in it you know had it not been for that that would have been lost what what is interesting though is that there were all these other plays that were also published uh during shakespeare's uh, lifetime or after shakespeare's lifetime which also had his name on it that we don't recognize as shakespeare's today so if you follow me there's you know the the 38 plays that we think of today as Shakespeare, and then there were these other plays, you know, called like The London Prodigal and The Yorkshire Tragedy, which also said by William Shakespeare. And scholars today are, are uh, happy to say that those were not by William Shakespeare. They say, oh, someone else just put his name on it, you know, this was just somebody else trying to capitalize on his fame, you know, they come up with all these reasons why those weren't Shakespeare, but these other plays were Shakespeare, and yet, um, you know, they, they have a real problem saying that uh, someone else wrote uh, you know, an early version of Macbeth or Hamlet and, you know, that had Shakespeare's name on it. So it's, it really depends on kind of the story you're trying to tell and, and, and what you want to believe. When you started researching and digging into this in, in preparation for the, the writing of this book, and again, the title is North by Shakespeare, A Rogue Scholar's Quest for the Truth Behind the Bard's Work. As an investigative journalist, Michael, had you set out to debunk Dennis McCarthy? <laughs> um, I wouldn't say that. I definitely came in skeptical, and I stayed skeptical throughout the book. And, and there are places where I kind of push back on him and say, you know, this seems a little too far-fetched. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, I get I get people coming to me with stories all the time, and, and a lot of times I look into them, and, and it just doesn't pan out, and I, I just don't end up doing anything on it. This one was really different. It, there was enough evidence there that really showed me there was something there. And when I set out to investigate it, I did my own research. I actually spent a lot of time in archives and in London and in England. And I went in saying, you know, I'm not just going to take what he says on faith. I'm going to do my own research. I'm going to see if I can debunk it or, if, you know, the things that I find uh, end up bolstering it. And 
surprisingly, I actually found some things in the archives that Dennis didn't even know about that ended up supporting his theory. For example, uh, this book in uh, the Cambridge University Library that Thomas North had written, uh, some marginalia in his own handwriting, and um, that seemed to relate to uh, the play uh, Macbeth, that, that Dennis hadn't even looked at or didn't even know about. And when I showed it to him, this, this handwriting came from uh, uh, 1591. It was dated 1591, and, and McCarthy said, um, you know, I actually, uh, for completely other reasons, had traced uh, Thomas North's source play for Macbeth to 1591. And so it's, you know, it's that kind of thing that as I started working on it, um, I became, you know, I, I, I continued to be skeptical, but it became harder and harder the more I worked on it because I was finding these things myself that seemed to relate to Dennis's theories in ways that he hadn't even known about. That's that's interesting. I, now that the book is is done and, and out, um, have you formed any impressions? Are you less likely to quote Shakespeare or attribute Shakespeare <laughs> with uh, quotes that we all use all the time? Well, you know, I, I think what's really fascinating about it for me is that I, I love Shakespeare. I've always loved Shakespeare's plays. And, um, you know, one of the pleasures of working on this book was I got to read you know, read and reread most of the plays over again. And looking at it through the eyes of Thomas North and, and considering this theory that it was based on these earlier source plays actually only made them richer and more more interesting and, and more powerful in, in my mind because I could sort of see see the origins of the plays in different ways. And, you know, for example, uh, Dennis believes that the Henry V source play was written while Thomas North himself was in war in Ireland in this really kind of uh, terrible, uh, muddy war that was going on. And, and to read Henry V and think about it as being written by somebody who was actually taking part in war himself, it just like you know brings it alive in a way that, that it wasn't before. You know, this is Shakespeare's great war play. And uh, to read The Tempest, for example, there's this conflict between these two brothers at the court, at the center of The Tempest and Prospero being exiled by his brother to this island. And knowing that Thomas North had, had real conflicts with his own brother and was actually uh, exiled by him from the family estates. And, uh, and yet at the end of the play, Prospero forgives his brother. And, and there's this, you know, really emotional scene. And, and reading that, you know, today, it almost sort of brings tears to my eyes, thinking that it could be based on this... Uh, this life of, of this writer who is struggling with, with his own uh, relationship with his brother. And so, so it doesn't take away from the plays uh, at all for me to, to think that they could be based on these Thomas North plays. And, and it doesn't, frankly, take away from Shakespeare uh, for me either, because, you know, Shakespeare, uh, in, in Dennis's mind at least, was still the person who brought them to life and brought them to us uh, all these years later but it does make them more uh, more powerful and, and, and richer to me. And, and, uh, and you know, I, I hope that, uh, that other people who read my book and, and grapple with these ideas might feel the same way. Does that make the stories, the stories um, told in, in the writings of Shakespeare and the plays in particular um, even more relevant that they may have been based on true events? Yeah, I think so, because, you know, people are always trying to find ways to relate Shakespeare to the events of the time. And, you know, there's there's this sense that when Shakespeare, for example, is writing about uh, 
the the War of the Roses and Henry the Sixth plays, or was writing uh, about uh, you know Richard the Second being deposed, that he was really commenting on on the affairs of his time and, you know, about Queen Elizabeth or Henry VIII or, you know, people that um, were more contemporary to, to Shakespeare. And if you if you look at Thomas North's uh, life, you know, he was actually growing up at court and he would have known many of these these people, you know, Queen Elizabeth, Mary Queen of Scots, uh, you know, Catherine de' Medici. He met all these people and, and, and knew them and was intimately familiar with them. And, and so today, you know, we look at that plays through the lens of our own time and, you know, think about, uh, you know, a play like Julius Caesar or, or, uh, yeah. Car Macbeth and, and we, we sort of apply our own political figures to them. And so, you know, I, I think it does really, um, bring them alive in a way to, to think that, 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 you know, Shakespeare or Thomas North or whoever's writing the plays back in the day was also doing that at the same time. Well, this is, this is fascinating stuff. Michael, what's, what's next for you that is a good question i mean i'm i'm uh right now pounding the pavement trying to get out the word about this book and and uh, having a lot of fun talking about about shakespeare with with folks and um and we'll see where where that takes me and and uh you know eventually i'll have to come up with a new book idea well i just wondered if uh you know we're we're gonna find out that jfk didn't really write profiles in courage or something (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well <laughs> i'll keep you uh, i'll keep you in suspense on that all right um we're we're almost out of time michael but i do like to give uh guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work past present and future do you have a website yeah absolutely i have a website it's michaelblanding.com and I should also plug Dennis's website, which is SirThomasNorth.com. If people want to look at some of these um, textual comparisons, he has a lot of those on his own website. And uh, I'm also on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Uh, all those links are on my website as well. So I'd love to uh, to uh, discuss this more with your listeners. And, of course, uh, people can read Michael's book, North by Shakespeare, A Rogue Scholar's Quest for the Truth Behind the Bard's Work. Um Michael, it's been this, this. I can't believe how fast the time has gone. Number one, and I, I just I have the fe- a feeling we could talk about this uh, all day, but uh, we do have to wrap it up here. But I I, I just want to tell you how much I've enjoyed this conversation, and uh, c- thanks for spending this time with me this morning. Yeah, well, I've enjoyed it too. Thanks for the great questions, and uh, it's it's really fun to to talk about and to to speculate on this stuff. Okay. Well, you take care, and and thanks again. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. That was uh, Michael Blanding. He's a Boston-based investigative journalist whose work has appeared in the New York Times, Wired, Slate, the Boston Globe Magazine, Boston Magazine, and other publications. He has uh, authored other books, including... uh, um, The the Map Thief, which was uh, a New York Times bestseller and an NPR book of the year, and, and many others. Uh, but we're going to take a short break, let our broadcast partners squeeze in a few words or do whatever they do when we go to break. Um, they are WFOV 92.1 LPFM Flint, Our Voices Radio. And uh, if you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, 
we have some messages as well and there's a lot more of the Tom Sumner program still to come so don't touch that dial don't click that mouse we have uh, more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead hi this is Joe by from the Blue Lions and you're listening to the Tom Sumner program while we've been staying safe at home scientists have been on a journey the destination a COVID-19 vaccine this journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. 
We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program.com Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. I went to see a, a play right here lately. It was one of them classical plays. And it was, uh, it was wrote by a fellow named William Shakespeare that lived over here in the old country here a while back. And it's a play, it's called Hamlet. And it was named after this young boy Hamlet that appeared in the play. And it was pretty good, except that they don't speak as good English as we do. <laughs> now, let's see, Hamlet, he, he, lived, he lived in this castle over in the old country with his mama and daddy. You know where it was that his daddy was king over this land. And also living with him there was a fellow named Claudius. Now, Claudius was Hamlet's uncle on his daddy's side. And before the play ever opened, this fellow Claudius plotted and killed Hamlet's daddy so that he might gain the throne and then married Hamlet's mama. And that made him Hamlet's stepdaddy. And well, all do try to remember that if you can because you will need it later on. <laughs> now, there was a fellow Polonius, he lived there. He was a kind of advisor to the king and there was a fellow named Horatio. He was Hamlet's buddy, he lived there. Then there was a girl named Ophelia that was visiting there. He, she was Hamlet's sweetheart that he had met at BYPU. <laughs> and, uh, well, there's all, there's all kinds of maids and soldiers and stable boys and things like that that live there too, you know. And remember, before the play ever opens up, Hamlet's daddy's already dead. And when it, when it opens up, it opens up on these two soldiers that was a standing guard one night. And this ghost come up on them. And one, one, one of them says, one of them says, hark. No, they said hark a whole lot back then. <laughs> he, said, he says, hark, what thing is this I see before me? And the other one says, let us flee and seek out young Hamlet. For behold, it bears a visage like unto his father. And it, it did too. It looked just exactly like him. <laughs> You couldn't took a better picture uptown. They, they were in the house to get Hamlet, but he had just come in from high school and was tired and had went on to bed. But anyhow, they told him about it, and he got on up and put his britches on and went on outdoors with them. And when he got there, the ghost started talking to him. Says, behold, Hamlet says, look on me, for I am the ghost of thy father. Then it went on to tell him, you know, how it was that Claudius had plotted and killed him, you know, like I told you a while ago. Well, when he got on telling him, it made Hamlet swear to seek out vengeance on his former uncle and present stepdaddy, Claudius. And after Hamlet swore it, while the ghost went on off, and none of them ever seen it after that. And it, it was right there that Hamlet gave that soliloquy about being or not being. And, uh, well, for them that don't know, a soliloquy is a kind of a self-talk. You know, it is where you kindly, you know, sit and look away off and kindly talk to yourself. And that's what he was a doing. Only he wasn't sitting down, he was walking. 
and when he, when he come close to the end of it, he come up on this young girl, Ophelia, and he says to himself, he says, soft, I see Ophelia fire. <laughs> well, he sat down and started talking to her. Asked her how she was and how her daddy was and how her mama was and different ones. And while he was talking, he looked and he seen a fella hiding behind a cedar chest. And he did, and he took out his sword and he run the fella. He run him upstairs and he run him downstairs. But he couldn't catch him and it made him mad and he come back to Ophelia, mad at her. And he hit her in the face and he throwed her on the ground. And he, he, he says, get thee to a nunnery. For thy face is a vile thing before my eyes. Now, it, it was right here that Hamlet first started acting like that he wasn't all that. <laughs> well, he... See... Well, see, he figured, he figured that the people that plotted and killed his daddy thought that he wasn't right in his mind, they'd talk around him, you know? But, but they didn't. One night he was up in his mama's room telling her good night. And he looked over there and he seen these curtains rustle just the least little bit. And he eased out his sword and he, he aged over to where it was the curtains was rustling. And he run the fella through. And the fella fell and he seen it was that fella Polonius that I told you about a while ago. <laughs> well, what he'd done, he picked him up and took him over and throwed him out this little window in this creek that run by. And none of them ever missed him after that. <laughs> And it was right after that that this carnival come through. Sideshow, show folks, you know. They come through and Hamlet had them to put on a show exactly the way that the murder of the king was committed. And let me tell you, when they got to the place in the play that the king was killed, Hamlet's stepdaddy got up out of his chair and he says, hold. He says, cease this wild carrying on and evil acting in the palace of the king. And he run them all out of the house. And it was right there that Hamlet first knowed that he was going to have to get even with his stepdaddy for killing his daddy. And it was also right there that Hamlet's stepdaddy knowed that he was going to have to get shut of that boy or he'd have trouble out of it. <laughs> well, what he'd done, what he'd done was the next day he put on a big sword fight between Hamlet and another fellow. And he, he give this other fellow a sword with a poison point on it. And he give Hamlet a plain sword and he had a bowl full of poison wine for Hamlet to drink just in case he won the sword fight. Well, he put up his hands and he says, lay on. And they went to it, Hamlet back the fellow, and he fell back Hamlet and back and forth like that for a while until pretty soon Hamlet got cut on the arm by that poison sword. And he commenced to weaken, but he fit harder than he ever did, and he kept backing the fellow off and backing him off till he run him through. And the fellow fell dead. And Hamlet went over to take a drink of that poison wine, and his mama, she knowed it was poison. She took it and drunk it herself, and she fell dead. And then Hamlet, with his last breath, went up to his stepdaddy and run him through, and the stepdaddy fell dead. And then Hamlet, he had done about all he could do, and he <laughs> fell dead. <laughs> and it's a pretty good show. <laughs> and, and the moral of it is, though, I reckon, if you... If you was to ever kill a fella and then marry his wife, I'd be extra careful not to tell my stepson. <laughs> This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
my hands I don't touch my face I stay at home Shelter in place Social distance Don't go to work I wear a mask and gloves I stay away from church Should I sneeze? I do it in my elbow or up my sleeve. Six feet apart. That is the rule. And I pray for the day the kids can go back to school. I'm washing my hands. Like a raccoon with OCD I've watched Hulu, Roku, Netflix, PBS, and the BBC I've taken down all my mirrors And I'm sick of what I see Two more weeks of quarantine Will be the death of me a trip to the grocery store to buy TV and a few things more but when I get there all I can find is 16 honey buns and some mad dog wine I'm washing my hands like a raccoon with OCD. I've watched Hulu, Roku, Netflix, PBS, and the BBC. I've taken down all my mirrors, cause I'm sick of what I see. Yeah, two more weeks of this quarantine's gonna be. Death of me, the death of me. You know they say this is war, but we don't have to storm Omaha Beach or Pork Chop Hill. And we just lay here on the couch and watch TV. Whew, I'd rather volunteer for a high-risk commando raid to parachute into Wuhan and find that little fellow that ordered that bat soup. I know I'm talking out of my head, saying crazy stuff over and over like. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. At breakfast, I meant to say, honey, please pass me the pepper. Well, what slipped out was, you crazy woman, you've ruined my life. <laughs> of course, I immediately apologized <laughs> as soon as I regained consciousness. Oh, for a new generation Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner 
show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. <laughs>